Hello, my name is Dr. Barbara Sturm. Welcome to the Dr. Barbara Sturm podcast. The first four episodes of this new show are all about the menopause and will be with me and also with Mariella Foster. Mariella is a familiar name to many. She wrote a book called Cracking the Menopause and has now set up the Menopause Mandate, which brings together women, experts and campaigners to demand better menopause care. We hope this set of four conversations with some of the world's experts on menopause will equip you with confidence, whether you've yet to start or are right in the midst of it. The series will look at HRT, menopause and the workplace and the effect menopause can have on relationships. But this first episode is Menopause 101. To guide us through this episode is Dr. Sharon Malone, one of America's leading experts on menopause. She is passionate about healthcare for women and recently made the headlines when she appeared on Michelle Obama's podcast to talk about menopause. Dr. Malone now works as medical director of Alloy, a telemedicine company offering women menopause care from the comfort of their home and pharmaceuticals delivered to their door. We should not normalize suffering. I mean, they, we should have a goal and an expectation that we should age gracefully. She has been quoted as saying, "If you file for a divorce on Tuesday and can't remember why on Wednesday, that's the menopause." Dr. Malone joined us from her home in Washington DC and started by telling us about her own experience of menopause when she was working as a doctor herself. Well, you know, it's funny, during residency, you get little to no training on menopause. You know what it is, but you don't really know what to do about it. That training really comes on the job. And I had the good fortune of joining a practice where I inherited patients who had been at the practice for at that point 30 years. So from day one of my practice I had patients who were 18 and I had patients who were 80. So I had the full range of reproductive age patients from the beginning to the very end. So I had to get up to speed on menopause pretty quickly. I had patients who had been on hormone replacement since the 60s when I joined. So I had the advantage of not having to start at the very beginning and wait until my patients became menopausal to find the interest in it. So I came into this very knowledgeable by the time I reached menopause. However, that's an advantage that most people don't have. And you would think I am also the youngest of five sisters. So you would think that maybe my sisters and I would have discussed it. Never. You know, so if I had not had that experience, I too would have entered menopause having no idea what was going on or what to do about it. And you would have been able to train as a doctor and enter the medical profession without knowing anything about it unless you'd actually decided to pursue an interest in it is what I'm guessing from what you just said. That's exactly right. There is a, a study out by the Mayo Clinic that surveyed OBGYNs and they said that only 20% of OBGYNs as of, you know, the late 2000s felt comfortable discussing and treating menopause. And we're a little bit different here in the U than you are in the UK. OBGYNs are for most women their primary care doctors. They don't see a GP first and then come to see us. We pretty much are the gatekeepers when it comes to primary care for women. So if we don't know what to do, 
imagine what the knowledge base is once you get beyond OBGYNs and you're, you know, with internal medicine and other specialties. And that's sort of what we find uh, when you don't go to your when your OBGYN doesn't know, women start peeling off. They think something else is wrong. So they'll consult another specialist. They'll see an endocrinologist. They might see a psychiatrist. Um, and they get various uh, information that may or may not be consistent because no one's really looking at the big picture. And medication too. They probably go for the wrong medication. And by the way, it's the same in Germany. We don't get the education we need to really help um, women in menopause. And if you go to the OBGYN, just a few have real knowledge. You have to find the one who has the knowledge. So, And there's no real discussion in between women, not even between your sisters. So it's hard to gather the information as someone who is experiencing all these symptoms, hot flashes, anxiety, insomnia. What I was experiencing after COVID was that my estrogen level dropped. So what I was experiencing is that I would go into menopause from the disease. And I think lots of women reporting the same. And all of a sudden, I had to face insomnia and yeah, hot flushes. And it was very weird to me at that moment because I wasn't, I wasn't counting it just yet, you know? Yeah. And I heard also about a lot of women who'd had menopausal symptoms, whose symptoms had died down or, you know, that they were treating them with HRT and then got COVID and, and went back into the sort of extreme menopause that they'd been experiencing before. Have you heard yes. stories like that, Sharon? You know what? I really haven't, but I, I would believe that we there's so much about COVID that we don't know, and we are learning on the fly as we go as we go along. But there's there's so much about COVID we don't know, but there's even more yeah. about menopause that we don't know. Right. I wondered, you know, from your point of view, why do you think it is? Because I think Barbara and I share the same complete bemusement about why something that's going to happen to 50% of the population should at this point in the 21st century still be a mystery, a, a sort of black hole that we tumble into with, with, with no guidebook. Well, I, I think there are a couple of reasons why that's so. One is that not a lot of attention has been paid to women's health generally. And then when you add the intersection of aging uh, and the issues of women's health and the information, the funnel narrows even even more so. So we are sort of at the tip of the spear of that intersection of lack of research. And a lot of that stemmed from the Women's Health Initiative that came out 20 years ago. So for women now, there is a generation of doctors who not only didn't learn about menopause when you know they were in medical school, but there is a generation of doctors who's grown up in the environment where everyone thinks that that hormone replacement is bad. And that's unfortunate because bad news travels fast and it's sticky. So we have to fight this war really on two fronts. One, we have to educate women to make sure that they know what to expect when they get to this phase of life. And two, we've really got to re-educate doctors. Even the ones that are out there now are still actively discouraging women from taking hormones based on this study that was done 20 years ago. And that really was the reason why I wrote this op-ed. I'm like, you know, there is, there, this is shameful. All of the information that we should have now 
on a study that was started almost 30 years ago, not only do we not have, but it is sort of frozen in place any future research that should have come out of that study. And that's why, you know, women are stuck somewhere in the 1990s in terms of our knowledge base um, on menopause. We talked to one of the doctors involved in that WHI survey who was absolutely horrified about the results that were published. You know, I liken the uh, Women's Health Initiative. I say it is like the Mueller report of medical studies, <laughs> you know, because there was a lot of stuff in there. Some of it was informative. Some of it was misleading. But the only thing that came out and the only thing that stuck with everybody was just the headline. And those negative impressions stuck. And unfortunately, when we as doctors, because I had been practicing for 10 years and prescribing hormones for 10 years before that study came out, and it was a 180 degree shift in terms of of where patients were, they felt betrayed. They came, oh, doctor, why'd you give me this terrible thing that was gonna kill me? And I hadn't even read the study. The headlines came out before the principal investigators who were actually doing the study, they hadn't had a chance to review any of it, such that we shaped opinion for a generation based on the, I'll say, the vicissitudes of a very small group of people at NIH who felt it was important to stop that study. And we have been paying the price for that for 20 years. I wonder if it's helpful. I don't know what you think, Barbara. Maybe we should just get Sharon to give us a sort of definition of what menopause is uh, rather than, you know, all of the mythology around what it is. Yeah, it's super interesting to learn about all the background and landscape of it. But can we go through the, you know, the one-on-one on menopause? What is it? Which age can we see symptoms happening? Sure. Menopause itself is defined as the time at which a woman has had her last period. It is confirmed after she has not had a period for a year. But actually, in reality, you are menopausal the moment you've had your last period, but how do you know that? Um, Until you look back a year, you know, in retrospect and say, I haven't had another. That happens typically for women about 51, 50, age 51, 52. That is pretty clear. What is confusing for women, I think, is the menopausal transition, better known as the perimenopause. Now, that starts happening where women's hormones start to fluctuate. That can happen anywhere from four to 10 years before you've had your last period. And that is where the confusion comes in because all of those symptoms that we typically associate with menopause, like hot flashes and mood swings and brain fog, can start happening while women are still having regular periods. And then they're confused. And this is where, you know, they start to wonder that there's something else going on. And if you go to your doctor with those complaints and your doctor does not understand that all of these symptoms are part of the menopausal transition, women don't know what to do. They might see an endocrinologist. They might see a psychiatrist just peeling off one symptom at a time and it's disturbing that more doctors do not recognize that this is all part of a normal transition as you go from your reproductive years to your post-reproductive years. And the perimenopause is just that period in between. So what's happening to us in perimenopause? 
What, what's the actual physical process we're, we're going through? When you are premenopausal, let's just say before age 40, because generally most women are, you're ovulating on a regular basis. Your estrogen production, your progesterone production is happening in a normal cyclic fashion. That's why you're getting your menstrual period. When you enter perimenopause, that orderly sequence, that sort of wave-like production of hormones that happens on a monthly basis becomes very erratic. And it's not just that there's lack of hormones. Sometimes you have too much hormones. You may ovulate more frequently. You may ovulate less frequently. And so it's that inconsistent, jagged, up and down hormonal flux that really causes a lot of the symptoms that women start to experience. And if you sort of liken it to puberty, you know, everybody knows what puberty, any of us who've ever had teenagers or have, uh, we've all been teenagers, you know what happens when your hormones are up one day, down the next. It wreaks havoc on your emotional state, your physical state, all of that. And that happens when you're perimenopausal. So, you know, a good way to think of it is to say that perimenopause is like puberty in reverse that goes on for a decade. So, I mean, imagine that. So most women find themselves quite distressed. And, and again, acne is also it's something that women don't normally associate. But they're like, my God, why am I having breakouts again like I'm a teenager? It is all because of the inconsistent production of hormones, sometimes too much, sometimes too little, and the inability to know what's going to be there one day and not there the next. What can women do to try and steady that journey? And and also, I'm quite interested in the damage, internal damage, as it were, that we don't hear so much about that can also be happening at that time. And because doctors, as you've said, don't know about it, mm-hmm. they you know are very reluctant uh, to prescribe HRT at all. I'm sure we'll go on to talk about HRT, but they're very reluctant to prescribe it, and certainly not before you hit you know, the age of 50 or it seems to me an awful lot of people are prescribing things when you're already through the worst of it and have already suffered the damage. The inconsistency in the hormone production is not something that's going to cause any sort of irreversible damage. It's annoying. I mean, the symptoms are annoying, but, you know, I I, I wouldn't characterize it as damage other than to your psychological well-being, which that happens sometimes. One of the things that I say that is most distressing for women is just the inability to know when your period is coming. Is it going to come in two weeks or is it going to come in three months? And in the early phases of the menopause transition, the periods start coming too soon. You know, you're like, didn't I just have it? And then two weeks later, you get it again. Or it lasts for three weeks, or you have these periods of flooding and women are embarrassed by it. And women can have periods that are so terrible that they are anemic as a result of this. When you say, well, when we get back to damage, think about this. That is probably the number one cause of hysterectomies is in this perimenopausal window because women have such difficult time with their periods that the answer to it used a generation ago was, well, then let's just get rid of that thing that's causing the problem. They would take out the uterus and not deal with the the cause of this irregular bleeding, which is just the hormonal imbalance that happened. What advice do they need about menopause and symptoms and diagnosis when they had a hysterectomy? Well, I mean, 
actually having had a hysterectomy um, in some ways, and I mean, obviously the bad thing is you've had to have major surgery, but the good news about having had a hysterectomy is that when you are symptomatic, you can take just the estrogen alone. You do not have to take progesterone because the only reason why you take progesterone as part of hormone replacement is to protect the lining of the uterus. Now, obviously, I don't recommend that as a, you know, as a reason to not do progesterone. And the data on estrogen alone should be a far less concern to women because, again, going back to the Women's Health Initiative, women who are on estrogen-only even in that flawed study, had much better outcomes than women who did not take hormones at all. So that's the good news about that. So when you know, when you feel that you're in a perimenopause and your hormones are all over the place and you have irregular bleeding and hot flashes already, so are you a candidate to already have a hormone replacement? How do you find a doctor to help you here? Well, I tell you, the perimenopause is a clinical diagnosis. You do not need blood tests. You do not need sonograms or anything of that nature to make the diagnosis of being perimenopausal. If you are a woman of a certain age, and by that I say typically if you're a woman in your 40s and you are having symptoms, even if you're not having symptoms, you are perimenopausal because as I told you, it is that period anywhere from four to 10 years prior to your last period. So symptoms, no symptoms. If you're in your 40s and you're within 10 years of your last menstrual period, then you're perimenopausal. The question becomes, what do you do for women who are symptomatic during perimenopause? And because bleeding irregularities is such a huge component of those perimenopausal years, frequently what we use to treat women to even out the hormones and to give them some control of their bleeding is usually oral contraceptives. Just because you're perimenopausal and your hormones are irregular, you still ovulate occasionally and you are still at risk for pregnancy if you are not using some other type of contraception. And I can attest to the fact that it happens because I am said child. Um, my mother was almost 45 when I was born, and I'm sure she was shocked. She was probably hoping for menopause, and lo and behold, uh, I showed up a few months later. <laughs> I, I think it would be safe to say this wasn't something she was uh, planning on, but nonetheless, that thought never occurred to me until I got to be 40 myself, and I was like, oh, she probably wasn't trying for an eighth. You know? <laughs> So it happens. And birth control pills are also very helpful in controlling that bleeding irregularity that most women have. Because who wants to not have any idea when their period's coming? You're sitting there and all of a sudden you've bled through to your chair or to your bed sheets with no warning in between. So we think of that as sort of a bridge that we use it for those reasons while you are perimenopausal, then eventually as you start getting closer to that 50 milestone, then we back off a little bit to see, all right, can we stop the birth control pills now and then move on um, depending upon what your symptoms are. What about the Mirena coil? Because I know um, that there's anecdotally a lot of women will use that and, and some people say that it it's delays your menopause or delays you suffering symptoms. Uh, is that the case? No, no, it does not. Now, 
this would be graduate level menopause education, but you can use the Mirena to control bleeding because it only has a low dose of progestin in it, which is the second component. There's no estrogen in it. It will not control hot flashes or mood swings or the other things that are typical of estrogen deficiency during the perimenopause. The good news, if you have a Mirena in place and you already have the progestin, remember I told you it's only there to protect the lining of the uterus, you can add back some estrogen or estradiol at that point for women who have a Mirena and are having symptoms. And you can do it at much lower doses than you would have to give if you were using birth control pills. So that's good news. So Sharon, I mean, you you said it's a clinical diagnosis, perimenopause. There isn't a test for it as such, which is great on the one hand. But on the other hand, it means that if you go into your doctor and your doctor doesn't know enough about it and misdiagnoses what's happening to you, they're not going to understand that you're in perimenopause. Or conversely, you know, you go in, you kind of all of the factors are there. And you know what's happening with you better than the doctor. I mean, what do you advise women do? Because the biggest problem seems to me, well, apart from the WHI survey, the biggest problem seems to be misdiagnosis um, and lack of understanding. Well, this is where education is important for women. And one of the things that I did when I left my practice is try to figure out how to leverage the experience of a few doctors over many women. That is why actually I joined Alloy Women's Health because women should be able to access this information to learn about menopause, and I think that's the most important thing. Once you sort of know what to expect, it's easier for you to know what your options are at that point. And to to go back to your doctor either armed with that information, or now we have at Alloy, you can look at it, take a survey, and then you can actually get the hormones delivered directly to you. You don't have to go through your doctor. Now, we're not a replacement for your doctor. We have found out that there are just simply not enough doctors out there. And I'm going to say this in defense of, of doctors because I was in this world for 28 and a half years. They're asked to do a lot in a 15-minute appointment. And if you don't bring it up, you know, a lot of times they'll ask the question about it, but menopause is complicated. And it's how uh, menopause is experienced is different for every woman. So it yeah, there's a conversational component. There's an education. There is a discussion of what your options are. Frequently, you don't have enough time to go through all of that. Many women have gone from doctor to doctor, and then someone says yes, another person says no, and and they're really confused. And we're trying to cut through some of that confusion. So it's not about women approach the appointment. It's more about how the doctors seem to be able to help or not help and are educated enough. Exactly. The more information we have as women, the more we can advocate for ourselves. And I think more importantly than that, once you know what the options are, you should not have a gatekeeper telling you what you can and cannot have. That's that's what I love. That's it's, that is my mission with skin. You have to throw all the information at them and then they can make good choices for themselves and I love that you actually give them the possibilities to get there 
um, their their therapy without even having right. to go to someone who doesn't know exactly. what they're talking about. And you know what? And there are things that your an in person doctor visit that must be done. So you know we want you to do that, but there are certain things that are particularly like menopausal care um, that is better served when you are dealing with people that this is their interest. Sharon, this is all super interesting. What else would you advise women to do for their lifestyle, how to overcome certain symptoms like supplements or mental training Exercise, or whatever it is you would think you know, uh, would help? Diet. Yeah. I, I think it's vitally important that all women, you know, as we age and particularly as we're preparing for hopefully, you know, another 30 or 40 years uh, of continued good health, um, exercise is vital. Do whatever it is that you will do consistently, because I think the data says that, you know, if you can get 30 minutes of exercise five times a week, that has improvements for cardiovascular health, brain health, all of the above. Our diets, what we put into our bodies really affects how we feel and how we're going to age. I hate to focus so much on weight because women will focus on weight to the exclusion of the other things. And I don't want you to starve yourself to death or do fad diets because that's unhealthy as well. So weight is sort of a third tier. Limit your alcohol intake. Um, you know, and I think treating women for some of their symptoms will also take care of that too, because some of us are self-medicating here because we feel so bad for other reasons. Don't smoke. And I think the most important of all of these is staying mentally and socially engaged. Women as creatures, we are social creatures, we are communal creatures, and being able to be in a supportive environment of women who understand what you're going through helps tremendously. Women should do this regardless of what option you choose after menopause. This is the, the holy grail here of aging gracefully and healthily. And I think just to add one last thing to that, which I think Barbara and I are very conscious of, is to talk about menopause, which is what yeah. we're trying to do with these podcasts, which is to just put it out there and try and decrease the sense of stigma and shame that women experience talking about it. It's totally natural. It's going to happen to every single one of us. And, and so negotiating it well you know, a really important element of that would seem to me to be what the three of us have, have been doing today. Do you agree, Barbara? Absolutely. Talk to your friends, talk with experts, listen to podcasts. I think that's so important to gather as much information as we can, because I'm a medical doctor and I didn't get all this information when I was in medical school. So we have to gather while we're experiencing right. it. No? And I think a very important piece of this too for women, and I think as attitudes as we enter this phase of our lives, is that we should not normalize suffering. We should have a goal and an expectation that we should age gracefully. We will be healthy. And the expectation should not be that, oh, well, every, oh, I'm old or, you know, my joints ache or this. And we've spent too much time thinking that that is the expectation and it should not be. Also, what I think is um, the problem with menopause, that it isn't been seen like a it is a disease or a problem. It's just part of aging. So it's very normal. Nobody really cares because it's not life-threatening. Although it is life-threatening, you know, it destroys our bones, our right. mental health, our everything. So we have to give it more weight right. in, in the and, medical and, and field. And the last point that I really want to make is that I don't want women to think 
that you have to be in this camp or that camp. You know, horm- you know you're pro-hormones or you're against them. For women who are not having symptoms and are doing well, God bless you. You know, I'm happy for you that you're in the 20% of women that don't have symptoms and you're just sailed through like nothing happened, but you are not allowed to shame or make women who are in that 80% who are symptomatic and who are having issues feel guilty or bad about the decisions that they make about how they age. Very important. I felt so bad when I started getting all these symptoms and I was debating and I was going on the medication and I felt amazing after a few days, amazing. Well, it's certainly working with your face and I suspect though that might have something to do with the amazing products that that, that, that you've brilliantly conceived, Barbara, which I'm now addicted to, sadly. But that's another part of menopause, you know, the estrogen, what it does to our skin, you know, and when a woman looks in the mirror, and doesn't love herself anymore. That is so sad. So I think, you know, to bringing valuable hydration to the skin and helping, you know, the skin to stay firm and strong is is a big, big part of helping people in menopause with their mental health. Mariela, I love you. You've been amazing. I really love sharing all this information you gathered, Sharon has gathered with our audience. It's so important. Thank you for doing this with me. I'm really, really grateful. It's been absolutely fascinating, Sharon. Thank you so much for spending some time with us and explaining things. Bye-bye. Thank you, guys. Episode two of the Dr. Barbara Stern podcast is available now and is a perfect follow-on to this discussion. It is with Dr. Paula Briggs, Chair-Elect of the British Menopause Society, and looks at everything you need to know about HRT. Everyone's got their own plans about how they manage their menopause, and the most important thing is that women have the right information on which to base their decision. That's such an important thing, and I think it's really difficult for women to know where to go to get the right information. The Dr. Barbara Sturm Podcast is a Feast Collective production in association with Finch and Partners. The producer is Catherine Carr and the executive producer is Kate Taylor. Do come and chat to us about the series on Instagram at Dr. Barbara Sturm and Mariella Fostrup. As you can probably tell, we really, really want more women to know about the menopause and to have the power that knowledge can bring. So if you're enjoying the series, please spread the word. And the paperback of Cracking the Menopause is out now.